G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. And you might like to contribute to our conversation today. Uh, We're going to be talking about a very significant tour that starts this week. You know, there are some major highlight events this year, and you won't want to miss maybe any of them, but there's one that starts this week that connects the creation account in Genesis to solutions to the prevailing challenges that we're facing today. When the timeless power of Scripture is brought to life for a changing world, the momentum builds and movements can be born. The Living in Babylon Australian Tour starts this week. In fact, it starts this Wednesday at the Adelaide Convention Centre. Then it's Brisbane's turn on the 2nd of March. That's this coming Saturday. Then in Perth next week on the 4th of March and in Melbourne on Saturday the 9th of March. And the two men that I describe as Australia's favourite sons. First of all, Martin Isles. You'll be familiar with Martin. He's the newly appointed executive CEO of the Global Apologetics Ministry Answers in Genesis. He will be sharing the platform with none other than Ken Ham the founding CEO of AIG Answers in Genesis, and they are getting ready to tour together. And it's our absolute privilege today to be able to welcome Ken Ham, who's touched down on Australian soil. Our privilege to have him in the studio with us. Ken Ham, a special welcome back to 2020. Well, hi, Neil. It's uh, great to be with you again and really looking forward to uh, working with uh, Martin and impacting people here in Australia. And from what I understand, Ken, and uh, maybe you don't want to give away all the the details of what's going to be shared, but it's going to be hard-hitting. It's going to, no doubt, have an air of controversy about it because, no doubt, there'll be some predictions you're making about what's happening right now uh, that you could have predicted a while ago because things are moving in a direction because people have left God out of the picture. Any thoughts here on just the sort of things people might expect with the tour? Well, it's interesting because in Adelaide, in fact, I'm, I'm doing a, a different presentation for each of the four conferences, and we're live streaming them all, and Martin is doing a different one as well. And, you know, we're calling it living in Babylon because, you know, Babylon was a very pagan place, and increasingly we see the whole Western world is becoming very pagan. Uh, we see in America that was once very Christianized, we see it becoming very pagan, and really we need to be raising up people like Daniels to be able to live in a pagan culture. Because you think of Daniel and you think of Shadrach, Meshach and Bendigo and so on and think about the pagan culture they lived in and yet they stood for for God and for his word. And we want to be able to help equip God's people to be able to stand in pagan Babylon because we're really living in in those sorts of times. But uh, not only that, we want to impact non-Christians with the truth of God's word. And so, you know, the ministry of Answers in Genesis has always been very evangelistic. And, of course, that's going to be an aspect of this tour as well. And, you know, over, over the years, really, in a, in a way, uh, the arguments sort of have changed and the emphasis has changed, the culture has changed. Now, God's word doesn't change. 
God's word never changes. But, you know, many years ago, when we first started the ministry, I think of going back uh, to, well, 1975 is when I first spoke on uh, the topic of creation, evolution, and so on. But, but the arguments were sort of creation versus evolution and the age of the earth and so on. And those arguments are still important and they're, and they're still there. But we've answered those, so to speak. But over the time, we've seen the culture become uh, very uh, permeated by moral relativism. And so we're seeing, for instance, you know, who would have thought 10 years ago you see the LGBT movement growing to where it is today and the impact it's having on the culture. And one of the, the, the big issues today, people are trying to figure out who are they and you know, they're looking at their identity and how do I determine who I am and what I can be and so on. And we want them, of course, to understand that their true identity is found in Christ, that that's what it's all about. And so we're going to deal with those social issues, too, of, you know, gay marriage and abortion and, you know, the LGBT worldview and identity and so on. And so, yes, to some people that can be controversial. And, you know, when when you stand up for God's word and stand up for marriage as a man and a woman and, and say abortion is killing a human being and there's only two genders of humans, you'll be you'll be accused of being intolerant and filled with hate speech, but I, w- I want to present it in a way, and Martin will be presenting it in a way, we want to show them this is not hate speech. I mean, if you start from God's word, we have a particular worldview. If you don't start from God's word, you're going to have a different worldview, and we're going to have a clash of worldviews. That doesn't mean we hate you. That doesn't mean you know we're intolerant. It means we've got different worldviews. Why? Because we have different starting points, and it really comes down to is your starting point God's word or man's word? And so we want them to understand that that's where the real battle is at. Ken, is is this like a coming of age for the creation evolution debate? Where for the maybe and perhaps these things have been simmering along, but people have not considered the ramifications of it, that the Genesis account story Uh, that the narrative from the Bible actually speaks into today's situations in such a way that uh, people's lives can uh, can be touched and changed and transformed. There's something that's happened in the change that I'm uh, picking up that this connection of Genesis to the present day challenges is just as powerful as it's ever been. As you just said, God's word is not changing. Therefore, it is relevant for all of these circumstances. Uh, What are your thoughts of a coming of age? Well, you know, it's interesting. uh, Back in 1986, I was filmed for a movie in America called The Genesis Solution. It was released in 1987. And in that movie, I was saying, if we don't stand on God's word and we don't stand on God's word in Genesis, you're going to see increasing homosexuality. You're going to see increasing pornography. You're going to see increasing abortion. And so I was saying those things back then. And, you know, a lot of people were sort of, I I think, sort of saying, oh, oh yeah, you know. Um, But we've seen that happen. And really what has happened, you said a coming of age, and and I I think that is true. And in other words, as I mentioned earlier, you know, in the early days, we were dealing with a lot of the scientific arguments, and we've answered a lot of those scientific arguments. And the culture has sort of moved on to now it's all about the, the, the moral issues and it's to do with the social issues. And as I said, your identity. I mean, if you think of Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, I mean, I've read Romans chapter 1 many times over the years. But I think we see it today in a way we've never seen it before. I mean, you know, when when you think of um, Romans 1 talking about those who reject God as creator and that they'll worship the creation, 
we're suddenly starting to see what that means in, in ways we haven't seen before. Or you, you think of that verse of Scripture that says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I mean, I read that many times over the years, and you think, oh, yeah, but now we're actually seeing that. What's, what's good, they're calling evil. What's evil, they're calling good. We're seeing that before our very eyes. And so we need to help uh, Christians be equipped to know how to deal with all those issues, how, how to have a true biblical worldview. You know, we, we, I have a big emphasis on worldview. What does that mean? Starting from God's Word to build a way of thinking. It's not just adding the Bible into your thinking. It's having a whole way of thinking that's biblical. And, you know, when I, I give the talk in Adelaide uh, this week, it's entitled Genesis 1 to 11, The Foundation for Everything. Because Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for all doctrine. It's the foundation for marriage, for the sanctity of life, for gender, for the gospel. It's the foundation for everything. And if you want to deal with any of those issues, you've got to start with that history in Genesis 1 to 11. So it's, it's not just about creation and evolution and the age of the earth. And so it, it, it's about starting with God's word to have the foundation for the right way of thinking in every area and then applying that to our lives. And, and the gospel is a big part of that. And so we want people to understand the history in the Bible is true, and that's why the gospel based in that history is true. And there's more than one battlefront here, isn't there? In some sense, uh, when we were just talking about a creation versus evolution debate, it was a little bit of an apologetics debate for those who were opponents or they were calling themselves atheists or the new atheists, whatever it might be. There's another battlefront in here because somehow or other Christians have lost sight of the validity and the value of what comes from those chapters in Genesis as history. What are your thoughts here for Christians who are a part of, you know, this is where the battle is too, for the hearts and minds of Christian believers, not just those who are antagonistic towards Christ? Well, if I can say this, Neil, I I, I think there's a, there's a lot of Christians that are saying, we don't understand what's happened. What has gone on in our culture? Why is it going this way? And why, why is the church so, so lukewarm, so much of the church so lukewarm? Why are we not impacting the culture? Now, at the same time, there's a lot of the younger generations that when they get equipped to know how they can defend the Christian faith, to know what we believe, to know why we believe what we do, I find a lot of these younger generations become really on fire for the Lord. Uh, and in fact, when, when Martin was doing special programs here in Australia and had all these young people there and teaching them, uh, we had some of those young people come over. We brought them over for a special program at the Ark and the Creation Museum, and we housed them there, and they were there for nearly two weeks, and we uh, you know, gave them lectures and so on, plus they were impacted by the Ark, the museum. We took them to certain places. Those, those young people, they, they were on fire for the Lord, and I thought, wow, these Australians are so on fire for the Lord. And In fact, we want to do that more and more and bring more people over and help train them there. But you see, I think a lot of churches have have really gotten away from because it, because so many over the years really did abandon Genesis one to eleven and say it doesn't matter. Then people don't know how to deal with gay marriage, how to deal you know what is marriage all about, or how to deal with gender, or how to deal with anything because Genesis one to eleven is the foundation for everything. And basically, if you want to be woke proof, you need to believe. Genesis 1 to 11, because once you believe Genesis 1 to 11 and build all your worldview on that, then you know marriage is a man and a woman. There's only two genders, male and female. You know that 
uh, human life begins at fertilization. So abortion is killing a human being. And so it goes on. And, you know, as uh, Martin Isle said not that long ago to me, he said, you know, when you guys came up with the name Answers in Genesis, he said it's a very apt name because it doesn't matter what the issue is, the answers are always in Genesis. Because those first 11 chapters, that history there, is the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for our Christian worldview, for all doctrine. It's the foundation for everything. And that's what's been missing from a lot of our churches. And I think when we show that connection to people and show how it enables you to know what to believe as a Christian but then how to lovingly and gently but boldly deal with issues of gay marriage and gender and so on. Because for a lot of people, they think, you know, we're giving hate speech. When you explain to them, look, if you have a different foundation to me, you're going to have a different worldview. And so that clash of worldviews is not me hating you. A clash of worldviews because we have a whole different way of thinking because we have different foundations. So let's get down and talk about where our worldview comes from and let's show you where our worldview comes from because unless we deal with it there, we're never going to be successful in dealing with that clash that you see. Well, here's a word I think we can attribute to Ken Ham. Get woke proof. And, uh, you know, the tour that's coming up starts this Wednesday in Adelaide. Uh, You might have friends, neighbours, you might have your own teenagers that you want to take along to an event that will be very attractive, uh, given that Martin Isles is also on the bill. But uh, to have Martin on the same platform with Ken Ham, the founder, CEO of Answers in Genesis. Now, this is an internationally renowned organisation, and uh, we'll get an update as to what's happened with all of the developments with the Ark and the Creation Museum, those sorts of things. But if you haven't yet checked out the times and to register your own ticket to be a part of these events i mentioned adelaide this wednesday night brisbane's turn on saturday night perth next week on the 4th of march and melbourne saturday the 9th of march answers in genesis.org answers in genesis.org ken ham is our special guest this hour 316 ken we mentioned there's four events in capital cities Adelaide this Wednesday, Brisbane on Saturday night, Perth coming up on the 4th of March, Melbourne on the 9th. Um, Give us some insight here because some of these are already sold out. Um, I know that Brisbane is looking sold out. Uh, Is there a chance that anyone in, say, southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales can gravitate towards Brisbane and be guaranteed a seat at this point? Oh, it's an interesting question. I'll probably drive the team on the ground here nuts when I say this, but uh, I don't know. My experience is there's always a percentage that don't turn up because, you know, there could be medical issues or, you know, other issues, and there's always a percentage that don't. So I still think um, that uh, if uh, people weren't able to get a ticket for Brisbane, they could still, if they want to chance it. No, I don't believe in chance. Well, maybe maybe see if they're predestined to go to the conference. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's possible that they could still get in if they come. Uh, Adelaide is almost full. Uh, then uh, there's still some seats there, but I understand it's almost full. Uh, and then Melbourne and Perth. Actually, uh, there's still room in Melbourne and Perth. But between all those uh, different venues, I mean, we're up to about nine 
between eight and nine thousand people have registered, and I mean we're filling up those uh, those convention centres. So that is absolutely amazing, you know, when you think about it. So as I understand it, the Brisbane event that you say is largely subscribed, and uh, there may be a miracle opportunity to get into it. But something like four thousand people have mm-hmm. registered for Brisbane. I mean, what we're talking about here is exhibition and convention centres. So it's not a little church in the back blocks. Right. These are big auditoriums that you're filling around Australia. And I think it shows a real hunger uh, for people and a real need for Christian leadership to say, look, we've got answers. We want to equip you. We want to help you. We want to deal with this culture, help you to know how to deal with this culture, how to raise up your own children uh, to have the right foundation, and how to effectively talk to others about all the different sorts of issues uh, that are out there today. You know, when, when when you think about the fact that In the book of Judges, it says, when they had no king to tell them what to do, they all did what was right in their own eyes. Again, I think we see that played out today in ways we never understood before. I mean, I've read that verse many times in Judges, and you think, oh, yeah, when there was no king and so on. But now we realize, wait a minute, when people have abandoned the absolute authority of the word of God, then anything goes. And that's what's happening. And so, you know, when, when people say, what is the solution to what's happening in our culture? Well, the solution has never changed, Neil. The solution has always been and always will be the truth of God's word and the saving gospel. That's what we need to understand. Because coming back to the theme, living in Babylon and aligning our Australian culture with the Babylon culture, what we're talking about here is living in Babylon and not being seduced or not being coerced into compliance to godlessness. How do you describe the sorts of things that people will glean from these answers in Genesis to be able to be strengthened, not to be seduced or coerced into compliance to godlessness? Well, of course, they need to come to the conference so they can hear all that. But, uh, (laughs) you know, Neil, um, when I look at Australia, I sort of need to explain a little difference here between Australia and America. I'd say for Australia, they are so far down the road in regard to you know, companies being woke and so on. That, that sort of permeates the entire culture. Uh, and, and America is not there yet. It's on the way to being there, but it's not there yet. And one of the things that I think uh, we're doing over here is helping people understand, look, we recognize for, for people who are Christians, um, you're living in a culture that is that is so woke that, you know, you, you're so radical to be a Christian, to believe the Bible, to believe God's word. But think about Daniel. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was radical for them to stand for God's word in a very pagan culture. Yet they were prepared to be thrown to the lions. They were prepared to be thrown into the fire and and, and burned alive. They would be prepared to do all of that because they stood on God's word. And we as Christians need to be able to stand on God's word. And to do that, it, it makes a big difference when people you know, are, are taught that that we can trust God's word. And I think that's a big issue there is for a lot of people today, they, they don't really know, because I think there's been such a lack of teaching in a lot of our churches, they don't really know what they believe or why. They don't really know what's happened in our culture because what has happened in our culture, you have generations that have totally abandoned God's word and so therefore their worldview now is a totally secular one. You know, if, if you consider the past, most of the West was really what I would call rather Christianized, even Australia. Uh, you think of the Billy Graham crusade days, you know, back in the 50, late 50s and 60s, and the tens of thousands of people that flocked there because there was a sort of a, 
if you like, there, there was a respect for God's word and a respect for Christianity, and many were converted uh, during those days. But when you have when you have a lot of evangelistic rallies today, you don't see the same response as we used to because the culture has changed. We now have generations that have been so indoctrinated against the Bible and so indoctrinated against Christianity, and when when they've abandoned God's word then it's, well, what's life all about? It's hopeless, it's meaningless, it's purposelessness. And they're looking at themselves and who am I? And that's one of the reasons why we see this whole growth of the transgender movement and so on too, and and people saying, well, I can decide who I am. Of course, we as Christians need to understand that uh, when you look at yourself and you say, but I need to trust my feelings. You know, there's this big emphasis today on feelings. You can trust your feelings. But we've got to help people understand you're a sinner, and you have a sin nature. You can't trust your feelings. We first of all got to get the Christians to understand that, that you need to make sure you understand you can't let your sin nature master over you. Uh, You need to master over it, which is why we need uh, to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ daily, take up our cross daily, because we want to make sure that we don't let that sin master over us. And that helps us understand when we're even training our own children about, you know, the, the, the issues of gender and so on. You know, if someone says, well, I feel I should be a male, I feel I should be a female, you can't trust your feelings. We need to judge what we believe, our behavior, our feelings against the absolute authority of the Word of God. You know, my one of the verses of Scripture my parents taught us over and over again is is to make sure that uh, you trust in the Lord um, with all your heart and that that you believe in in God's Word. They taught us those scriptures about trusting uh, in God's Word. You know, because if you trust in your own mind, the Scripture says you're a fool. You can't do that because we are fallible, fallen creatures. And so it all starts with understanding really who we are and what the Bible says about that. Ken, you said something that might be a shock to some listeners today because when we talk about uh, being woke or going secularized, uh, you said that Australia is way, way down the track further than the United States. Some of the things, the images we might be seeing in our media about the United States, we might assume that somehow or other Everyone in Western nations is all in this together. In actual fact, it might appear Australia is way ahead going woke and going secular than other nations. What are your thoughts here just about how concerned Aussies might be about that? Well, you know, if you look at America, America has had an incredible Christian influence uh, and that it still has a, a fairly big Christian influence. It's waned. It's waned a lot. Um, But, you know, America, in a sense, started way up here and it's weighing down to here, whereas Australia has gone way down beyond that. It's never had the the incredible Christian influence that that um, that America has had. And so we still see uh, a very significant Christian witness in America. You know, it's interesting. We have people who come to the Ark and the Creation Museum and. They see thousands of other people there. I mean, we get over a million visitors a year to the Ark and, uh, you know, 600,000 or so a year to the Creation Museum. And I, I have them say to me, wow, it's so good to see so many others here. I feel so alone where I am. I feel like um, there's no one else uh, out there. But remember what, what God said to Elijah um, that there's thousands that haven't bowed the knee to Baal when he was, you know, felt like he was all alone. And sometimes I think even in Australia, people think we're all alone. 
and it has become so woke. But look at all the thousands that are coming to these conferences. You know, God has a big remnant. And and just a little bit of encouragement, maybe, uh, if, if, if it is that. I had people say to me today, oh, we're living in the days of Noah. Where you know, imagine the days of Noah. Well, I don't think we really are. You know why? Because in the days of Noah, there are only eight people from the entire population that went on board that ark. There are millions in America that stand on God's word. There's, I don't know how many in Australia, but there's still a big, the remnant is small, they're a minority, but they're there. And you know what? If we're equipped and prepared to stand on God's word and prepared to go out there and be bold and have courage, I believe we can have a tremendous impact. And I believe Australians can have a tremendous impact. We're going to continue our conversation after the news and our talkback line is open. Ken Ham is our guest and I want to thank listeners, those who've called in for waiting patiently. Uh, Let's take some calls, Ken. Uh, Philip is in Albany in Western Australia. Hey, Philip, thanks for waiting so patiently. What are your thoughts? Good morning, Neil and Ken. Uh, I was very interested to hear your comment, um, Ken, uh, about standing on God's Word. Um, And my question is, what is God's Word? Now, in my era, so I'm 60 now, as a young man, uh, the New International Version 1984 was our Bible, which clearly referred to, uh, on the transgender issue, God created man. So God created him. Now, with the NIV and just about every other modern Bible and YouTube Bible, let us make mankind in our image. Philip, not as easy to understand. Uh, the quality of the call's not great, but I've, I've but, picked uh, up uh, the, the yeah. essence of what uh, Philip is asking there. Yeah. Uh, he's talking about uh, what is God's Word, yeah. because yeah. we've got different versions he, of the Bible. And he was talking about NIV and others. Um, you know, one of the things that we need to understand, I'm not going to get into, and it's not my expertise anyway, talk about manuscripts and which manuscripts use, but there are thousands and thousands of manuscripts out there, and there's a lot of people who've done a lot of work on this. The... the, the The thing that I would say is this, our emphasis, if we want to really um, look at God's word, we should look for the most literal translation that's available. Uh, For instance, when you you consider, um, for instance, the NIV and so on, they have a high degree of dynamic equivalence, so they they paraphrase a lot of things. Um, But if you want to really study God's word, you know, and a paraphrase can be good to give you sort of a big picture. I'm not saying they're bad. Um, because they can give you that. But if you want to really study God's Word to make sure you understand it in context, uh, then you need a a, a literal translation. In fact, it's interesting that uh, at these conferences, uh, we have had uh, a publisher who has just published the Legacy Standard Bible, uh, and this particular Bible is a new translation. Well, it's not really a new translation. It's the NASB translation updated to be the most literal that it could be. And we're going to give people a copy. Everyone gets a free copy because the publisher is doing this. They're giving them a free copy. It has Genesis and then New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. You know how they often handed out New Testament Psalms and Proverbs in various places in the past. I've always had a burden. You should have Genesis in there because it's the foundation for everything. It's the foundation for all doctrine and so on. And so Genesis plus New Testament Psalms and Proverbs, everyone at the conference gets a free copy of that. But it's a very literal translation. So my answer is look for the very literal translations like this new one, the Legacy Standard Bible, uh, the NASB, 
uh, although this this is more literal than even that, the, the King James, which, you know, there, there's a number that are more of the literal translations. That's what I, if you want to really study the scriptures, that's what you should look for. And challenging, isn't it? And while Philip's on the line there, of course, uh, talking about, you know, what is God's word? Uh, how do I identify that? Is that like trying to find a needle in a haystack? And no, it's not, because no matter whether you're looking at the literal translation or the dynamic equivalent one, uh, to really get into that, you'd need to study Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic if you really want to get into biblical languages. But it's those principles that we can glean, that God is creator of male and female, uh, that he is the creator. And uh, we've got that sort of six-day creation uh, story there, the narrative out of Genesis, those early chapters. What is God's word? It's not invisible. Perhaps some people need a little bit of prompting as to seeing what those principles are, but that's where you're you're in the in the mix here, Ken. Well, and you know, um, at the Creation Museum, for instance, uh, we have a whole exhibit on God's Word and where it came from, and so on. And there's there's a lot that's gone into this in history, where God brought these various people together. And of course, you know, with the New Testament, basically most of those have to be of apostolic authority. Uh, you know, the apostles and so on who saw Christ, and uh, of course Paul who had a special uh, encounter. Uh, and and so they and the and the Old Testament scriptures that were well known. And so this has been well attested to over the years that God brought these people together, brought these books together. And then, you know, Scripture says in Second Timothy 3, all Scripture is inspired by God. And, uh, so it's uh, God's word to us. We've got to remember it's not man's word. You know, Paul says in Thessalonians, it is in truth the word of God, not the word of man. So we shouldn't treat it just like man has written it. We have to understand this is God's word to us. Let it speak to you in the context, the literature, the language, and so on. Thank you so much, Philip, for your uh, input here today. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Rose is in Brisbane. Hey, Rose, welcome along. Good morning, Neil and Ken. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that I'm a strong Christian, and I'm sorry to hear, Ken, that you believe gender dysphoria is a choice. That sounds to me like you would say alcoholism or anorexia is a choice. And... Um, I have my own short message for the queer community and that would simply be we love you, we accept you, salvation and deliverance are available if you so desire. And um, I don't, I haven't come across in the Word of God yet uh, where it says to try to uh, intervene with the world going about its business. And uh, there are people who want to choose Christ and there are people who won't. And uh, so I... Rose, uh, you're making some good points here and reflecting what a lot of people have a tendency to think. Let's bring Ken in on this situation because, uh, you know, do people have a choice on these things? Well, I guess when you're getting foundations right, that will affect choices that people will make. And yes, there's always going to be some anomalies in the system, but thoughts from you here, Ken. Well, if you're saying, you know, people have a choice, well, who determines who is right in their choice? Uh, how do you determine what's right and what's wrong? How does anyone determine what's good and what's evil? You see, what we have to understand is we're fallible humans. Not only are we fallible humans, you know, we're finite humans, we are sinful humans. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we can't trust our own feelings because we have a sin nature. And that's why we have the Word of God. See, the Word of God is the absolute authority. There was a man that came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, 
You know, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that is God. So who defines what good is? It's God. So you, you, if you leave it up to each individual, someone can say, well, this is good or that's good, but I think this is right or that's right or this is wrong or whatever. It's all subjective. Um, then who determines if, if, if what's right or what's wrong? Ultimately, it's whatever anyone wants to do, and so anything goes. That's why we need to understand the Bible is the absolute authority of the Word of God, and everything we believe we should judge against God's word. And, you know, to, to understand, I know you, you mentioned gender dysphoria and you also mentioned uh, alcoholism and so on. You know what? Because of sin, we can all have weaknesses. And we need, we need to understand that. Some people can be more tempted in, in areas of lust or areas of alcohol or whatever because sin has affected us. And, and our hearts go out to these people and we need to love them. But, you know, love is also showing people that we're sinners and love is also showing people that God has told us in his word uh, how we should behave, and we need to make sure that we conform to what God's word has said. And he's promised us something. He said that you can overcome any temptation in Christ. And even though temptations can be very, very strong and hard, and because because our sin nature causes uh, causes all sorts of problems, we he promises us if we look to Christ, we can overcome those temptations in him. Rose, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation, let's take another call. Wendy is in Benora Point in New South Wales. Hey, Wendy, welcome along. Good morning, Neil, and good morning, Ken. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you um, for the opportunity to hear an international speaker and to keep us so well informed. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about something that Ken said about how America is, you know, been a very big Christian influence in the world, which we know it has. But I've been reading that book about the Great Southland Revival by Kurt Malberg and Warwick Marsh. And we had very strong Christian roots back in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. The churches were flourishing. People were flocking to revival meetings, you know. Um, and even up to, you know, like you mentioned, Billy Graham, that's 59 and 60s. I'm just thinking, has it been the education system that's um, let us down or been infiltrated and the universities who are training the teachers? What sort of influence do you think that's all had on our culture? Uh, Wendy, wonderful book you're making a reference to, Great Southland Revival by Warwick Marsh and Kurt Mulberg, and detailing some of those revivals of early Australian history. And uh, there's movements now and uh, the emergence of a whole lot of great historians who are documenting our evangelical Christian history in Australia. But when you touch on education, Ken, your thoughts here for Wendy? Well, you know, I, I have a book dealing with evangelism. And one of the things I talk about is that our Western culture used to be more like the Jews. Now, what do I mean by that? The Jews in Acts 2. Uh, when Peter came to the Jews in Acts 2, uh, he said, you know, on the day of Pentecost, you sinners repent of your sin. You, you crucified Christ on the cross. And they were convicted and thousands were converted. But when Paul gave the same message to the Greeks and Mars Hill in Acts 17, they mocked him. You know, who, who is this? What's this babbler saying? They didn't understand at all. And and then he had to do something. He went and, and looked at their own culture and they have their, you know, an altar to the unknown God. And he said, let me tell you who, who that is. It's it's God who is the creator. And, and he laid the foundation for them to understand the message of the gospel. And then people started to be converted. You know, if if, if you apply that in a sense, you know, Australia used to be an Acts 2 type culture, but it's become an Acts 17 type culture. In other words, back... 
in those early days, I remember when I went to school, it was mandatory for teachers to read through the Bible. The Bible was respected. And everyone knew about Adam and Eve and sin and, you know, the flood of Noah's day and Jesus on the cross and so on. So evangelists could come in and preach a message and they would understand it. But let's face it, that's been thrown out of the education system now. And generations have been indoctrinated in atheistic evolution that they're just animals, there's no God, the Bible's not mentioned, it's basically, if anything, taught against, but it's certainly been thrown out. So we have generations today who don't even understand the Bible. They don't know about sin or or anything like that. So we have got to start at the very beginning with them. You've really got to start at what is the Bible and can we really trust it? And then to give them that message of where we came from and and the origin of, of sin and what sin is and what it means, you've got to define your terms. And that's the difference. Our cultures uh, have, have become, well, I, I call it Greekized, secularized, you know, de-Christianized. That's what's happened. And the education system has had a lot to do with it. Also, parents not training their children has had a lot to do with it. Churches uh, who have have not saw uh, these changes and what's happening and not equipping generations as they should, I think it all combines together. But the education system certainly has had a lot to do with it. That's for sure. Wendy in Benora Point, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Squeeze in as many as we can for the next few minutes. Let's hear from Alex in Melbourne. Hey, Alex, welcome along. Yes, thank you, Neil. And uh, I like the way Ken's emphasising the Word of God because that's where the answer is. And it's not just one place, but it's you've got to read the Word of God to understand God's God's will for us. And for instance, um, uh, with it, translations, there there are problems. Uh, the King James, for instance, uh, Psalm one thirty eight, uh, verse two, it says, "For thou." Has magnified thy word above all thy name. Uh, other translations would say, "They have, for thou hast magnified thy word and thy name." But it's clear that it's the word that's more important than the name. For instance, in the Old Testament, when they lost the ark, um, they decided, "Oh, because of their sins," they they said, "Oh, well." Um, uh, they didn't lose the ark. They was up to losing the ark. Um, they 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 were losing the battle, and then uh, they said, well, we'll take the ark with us this time. They took the ark, and they had, had the heaviest defeat of all because of their sins. It's not the ark, and it's not the name. It's the word that's important to us because we have to live that life, not just know it or, uh, you know, sort of... Alex, good insight there. Ken, uh, some response for Alex? Well, you know, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word uh, is God. Uh, you know, I don't like, personally, um, those red-letter editions of the Bible, because people get the idea that it's only the red letters that are the words of Jesus, but the whole Bible is the word of God. And it says God's word's going to stand forever. God's word never changes. That's our absolute authority. That's what we have to stand on. And, and you know, I call us at something at the beginning uh, that uh, uh, reminded me of something I say in my talks, and that is when you look at all the issues today, gay marriage, uh, abortion, uh, transgender, uh, you, you know, you look at all those issues, pedophilia and so on, many people get shocked when I say to them they're not different problems. They're all the same problem. The problem is they're... Uh, starting with the foundation of man's word, because once you, once you say man determines truth, then anything goes. And and if they all have are the same problem, they've all got the same solution. You know what the solution is? Just what the caller said. 
God's word in the saving gospel. That's always the solution. That's the absolute authority. Alex in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. Let's take one more call because I do want to find out some details, a bit of an update on what's happening with the huge, you'd call it a theme park, I guess, of the Ark Encounter. But let's take one more call. Mary is in Dolby in Queensland. Hey, Mary. Hi there. (laughs) It's one of Ken's old stamping grounds. Oh, yeah, Dolby is one of my favourite towns. I started, (laughs) I gave my first ever creation apologetics talk in Dolby in 1975 at the Baptist Church there, and I started school teaching at Dolby State High School, and I remember (laughs) the first science lesson when the kids said, Sir, we heard you're a Christian. But how could you be a Christian when we know the Bible's not true? And I said, how do you know the Bible's not true? Because of what's in our textbooks about evolution and millions of years. And, uh, and, the, yeah. God, and the Lord really burdened me right then to start to do something about that. Mary, what are your thoughts? Oh, definitely. Um, I teach RI in the schools, in uh, two of the state schools here. And I've stood up uh, before my congregation and just said... Um, uh, who here has children? And they put their hand up. And what are you teaching those children? And they tell me. And I said, well, we're very short on RI teachers. Have you thought of just giving half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever you can spare? Um, so I'm very privileged to go into the schools. And this Saturday, we're streamlining at the Baptist Church. So we've got a minister's fraternal here in Dolby, so we have a lot of churches coming along to that. So we're very blessed to be able to be part of um, Ken and, and I, Martin. I, I think, well, that is that is really great. And you know what? P- Christians do need to get out and uh, be, do what the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. They need to be involved. They can't just sit at home. They, if they have the opportunity to get into the schools, take the yeah. opportunity. Look, just... Just one, one half an hour on a Thursday. It won't yep. kill you. Well, Mary, <laughs> a special honour to you because, uh, you know, R-I-R-E, uh, whatever you call it in your town or in your state, so, so important as a foundation because it connects the gospel with those students in those classes. Amazing. So special honour to you, Mary. Uh, let me just, while we're on uh, the thoughts of education and what gets taught to children, I know, Ken, that you've got a, a significant Christian education curriculum, which is founded in creation. Uh, any just quick thoughts there on the sorts of things that from Answers in Genesis for people who are thinking, how do I make sure that my children have got a good foundation in creation? Yeah, in fact, uh, we have produced a Bible curriculum for uh, churches. It's called Answers Bible Curriculum. Over 10,000 churches are using it. It's chronological. It teaches worldview. It teaches apologetics uh, for all ages, kindergarten through adult. It's an incredible program. You can get it on the AnswersInGenesis.org website. We also have a version for homeschool, Answers Bible Curriculum for homeschool. We're now producing one for Christian school, and we just released the first uh, three grades of that, uh, Answers Bible Curriculum for Christian school. And as well as that, we have all sorts of other apologetics materials for all ages so that you can uh, teach children to be able to defend the Christian faith. And, you know, we have a vacation Bible school, and that's what they call it in America. Over here, I I know some churches use it over here. It's an incredible program that they can use for for a week, you know, during the the summer, during vacation, have kids come in or beach programs or whatever. Uh, that is phenomenal as well. And, you know, the uniqueness of our programs, apologetics, worldview, 
they're evangelistic. We we deal with the issues of today, and and we're raising up generations who know what they believe and why. Thank you to Mary in Dolby. Uh, that's the last of uh, the calls we'll take because let's just take a few moments. Give us an update here because so many listeners will be familiar with the Ark Encounter there in northern Kentucky, a life-size version of Noah's Ark that people can go into. And I've been there and I've walked the decks and seen some of the wonderful displays. Um, what's happening with the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum? Uh, any developments you can share with us, Ken? Well, it's very interesting. You know, the Ark Encounter has become the biggest attraction in Kentucky, not Christian attraction, it is a Christian attraction. It is the biggest attraction in the state of Kentucky. And uh, it's interesting that just recently uh, Google released uh, its statistics in regard to, you know, the most searched uh, sort of facilities and places. And in regard to uh, uh, facilities, uh, the ARC was up there, I, I forget if it was number two or number three, most searched or something facility. It was just absolutely incredible. People uh, are coming to this from all over the world. Uh, the Ark and the Creation Museum are in northern Kentucky. We're within a one-day drive of two-thirds of America's population. And pe- people come there because they're the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world. We just added some new exhibits in there at the Ark. Uh, we're also uh, opening, at the end of this year, a massive glass conservatory at the Creation Museum where we're going to be raising the plants of the Bible. And we have an education program there for that uh, as well. And, you know, uh, Neil, would I get into trouble if I said, I think people should all call Vision Radio and say, you guys need to take a tour for people and go over to the Ark and the Creation Museum. I'm going to really cause a problem here because, you 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 know what, we need to have some people doing some tours over there and taking uh, people over there. And uh, the the Creation Museum is like a walk through the whole Bible, and we've now opened our permanent Fearfully and Wonderfully Made exhibits. It's the most powerful pro-life exhibit uh, in the world. And uh, we're actually building right now a first cent- uh, a model of first century Jerusalem uh, that'll open at the Ark. Now, it won't open at the Ark till 2026, but it's going to be a 2,000 square foot, what is it, in meters? Uh, I don't know, 700 square meters. Um, and uh, it's going to be a massive model of a first century Jerusalem that'd be able to trace the life of Christ through. We keep adding things uh, all the time. And so... I uh, really uh, encourage people to come over and visit the Ark and the Creation Museum. They're very evangelistic. You know, 30% of those who come are non-Christians. And uh, and they tell us it, it's done so professionally. People tell us it's better than the quality of Disney. And now at the Ark, we have a virtual ride experience as well. Uh, we also have a carousel. We have the zoo there. We have all sorts of live animal programs. We do live animal programs at the Creation Museum as well. We do lectures during the day. We have all sorts of conferences I mean, this is this is a these are Christian mega places to really impact uh, millions of people. I have a selfie uh, with you and I and a kangaroo in the zoo at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky in the United States. And, you know, uh, so far as, you know, will you create all sorts of havoc by suggesting to us? All I know is that these sorts of thoughts and ideas are in development and there is discussion that's going on. So uh, look forward to something good coming sometime soon. One more thing, because we have run out of time. Uh, You've got Martin Isles, your new executive CEO. 
there's a fabulous, uh, you know, sustainable leadership model that you're putting into place. Uh, lots of Aussies know and love Martin Isles and that he's on this international platform now with Answers in Genesis. Uh, any thoughts on, on, on how that uh, the progress is going? Uh, you know, Martin's now getting a significantly bigger profile globally than he had when he was had a very high Australian profile. Any thoughts to how Martin's going? Well, you know, uh, Neil, it's very important for a Christian organisation to make sure you plan for the future. I mean, I'm getting older. And uh, we're not going to live forever on this earth, right? We'll live forever with the Lord. Um, but I've seen so many Christian organizations, when the founder goes, they die, they degenerate, or they lose their way, they lose their first love, they lose their mission. And I want to make sure that, you know, I've always looked out for somebody who has the same stand we do. And, uh, you know, when, when I saw Martin and what he was doing in Australia here, and his stand on God's word, his stand on Genesis, and also understanding the culture. It's a new culture we're living in. You know, this secularized culture and with the, the LGBT worldview that's impacting so many people and so on. And I knew that we needed someone to take it uh, in, in, into that culture in a big way. And so... We come up with this idea of putting Martin in as uh, executive CEO to begin to uh, have that authority for the whole organization, and I'll still be active as founder CEO for as long as the Lord allows me to be active, but you'll see Martin more and more active, and we're going to do a lot more in Australia, and we want to do a lot in the United Kingdom, and so it, this is going to be a global outreach, as you say, and so this, this tour is just the start. We're going to impact Australia in a big way, and so you'll see Martin coming over here and uh, a, a great impact from the Ministry of Answers and Genesis as, as really we're increasing our footprint. Well, this tour starts on Wednesday at the Adelaide Convention Centre. And if you think of convention and exhibition centres in these capital cities, Brisbane's turn next Saturday night, the 2nd of March, then Perth the week after in the 4th of March and Melbourne on Saturday the 9th of March. And if you're talking the size of these, uh, something like 4,000 already sold out in the city of Brisbane. There's a couple of websites that I'll give you. The direct one for the tour that starts this Wednesday is livinginbabylon.com. And, of course, the overarching website all about answers in Genesis, if you want to see some images of the Ark Encounter and some of the detail there about the Creation Museum, if you want resources, if you have questions about creation and evolution, you'll be able to access uh, all sorts of uh, searchable resources there too, answersingenesis.org. And uh, let me encourage you, um, when you're on YouTube, uh, why don't you just uh, type in Answers in Genesis or Ken Ham and uh, you'll be introduced to a, a myriad of all sorts of tremendous resource that will help you in your faith and to defend your Christianity from a creationist view. Answersingenesis.org. Ken Ham, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for dropping in to see us today on 2020. Hey, thanks, Neil. It's always great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.